Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, we have Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Very good. And Daniel, this is a special program today. We have in-studio guests, and I think our audience are going to be very pleased uh, with the program. But uh, Daniel will uh, tell us a little bit more about our guest, but uh, I'll give you a little hint. Uh, his brother is Julian Assange. And uh, it's some scary stories he has to tell, but uh, there's a lot of important interest and in, 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 it's not over yet with Julian. So we're very pleased that we have him in the studio and for a precise purpose, because I'm, I'm pretty convinced that our audience will be very, very sympathetic to trying to do whatever we can to right the wrongs that have been delivered to Julian. And unfortunately, it is the uh, United States that's been leading the charge. And that to me is very sad. Daniel. Thank you, Dr. Paul. And uh, Gabriel Shipton, thank you so much for joining us today. That's we first met in person last night when I attended a screening of your new film, Ithaca, which is, I'm telling you, was such a moving film uh, you know, uh, I didn't exactly know what to expect. I think I told you I dreamt about it all night last <laughs> night. It was a very different film because it was simply the story of a family trying to save a loved family member. That's what it was. And of course, he's an historic figure. He's an important figure. But boiled down, it was a loving father, a loving fiance, a loving brother uh, who pulled out all stops to try to save uh, Julian Assange, a man who we all owe a great debt of gratitude. If, if you don't mind, just take some time. Let us know uh, what the film is about. Let our audience know what the film is about. How did you come to make it? What was the motivation to make it? it well, Ithaca is a, you know, it's a very personal uh, film about, as you said, the people at the center of this fight to free Julian, and also the center of this uh, global movement that is now uh, formed around Julian, which is a global movement for freedom of information and freedom of expression. But these two key people uh, who are at the center of this fight and following them uh, and their journey uh, as they uh, fight against you know, the uh, global superpower and uh, uh, the strongest adversary on the earth. It was back in 20, uh, 2019 uh, when I went and saw Julian at the uh, prison uh, outside of London where he remains to this day. Uh, that's a maximum security prison. Uh, he is in that prison. Uh, there's 800 other inmates there, 20% uh, of who are convicted murderers. Uh, terrorists are on his uh, cell block. He is only one of two prisoners in that prison uh, who is what they call a remand prisoner. So he is not serving a sentence. Uh, he has solely been held there uh, at the request of the National Security uh, DOJ. And it was uh, at that time in 2019 when I went to see him there uh, that I left the prison that day feeling, you know, uh, over all the years, where, whether Julian was in the Ecuadorian embassy or, or under house arrest, because he's been detained one way or another for uh, going on 12 years, I'd never seen him like that before. And, and I left the prison that day feeling uh, feeling that I might not see him again and, and you know that's when we started to think about a film how could we tell uh, the side of this fight uh, how we knew it how the people from closest to Julian's uh, closest to Julian knew it and not uh, what is represented in the legacy media or the prestige media just going 
behind the scenes uh, with the with Stella and John and following their fight. Yeah, and it was, uh, I mean, I think his father John kind of emerged as a star on his own in the film because so much of his personality came out um, and it was very endearing, even his crankiness. Don't ask me about that. I don't want to talk about this aspect. Uh, and it was all very endearing and it was, um, I mean, you, you sort of almost feel like you put yourself in their place. What would I do if someone, if a loved one of mine was facing such injustice? Would I have the courage to throw everything aside? And, and John, though he's, he's uh, Julian's father and your father, he does have a young, a young family as well. So he's, he tossed everything aside to help his grown son. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that's seeing people who are, you know, John and Stella, they're just normal people. They didn't uh, choose this uh, type of life for themselves, this, you know, constant interviews, constant advocacy uh, all around the world, meeting with presidents and, and parliamentarians and Congress people. Uh, it wasn't by choice. So they're just normal people and and I think yeah that the idea is you know we inspire to to be inspired by them um, to take action to fight for something that's bigger than yourself very good you know there's a lot of things about this story that's totally bizarre that bothered me for years and the one is um, Julian's being accused of uh, you know, telling lies and spreading bad information and all, all this that going on. And yet, how many people stop and think, of course, uh, we've done our very best and, and your family has done a lot, is uh, why, why are we in charge? When I say we, the United States, why, why is the United States in charge? Of course, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a technical thing, it's a legal thing, and they're trying to, uh, uh, we're trying, the United States trying to demand, send him over here. He needs prosecuted because he, uh, he told the, well, they don't say this, but he's telling the truth. We have an empire, and it's very, very powerful. And uh, the one thing that is recognized about an empire, truth is treasonable in an empire that lies. But the, the worse the empire gets, the more lies they have to uh, tell. And yet truth it has to be always available. And that's why I'm delighted to hear about your film. I didn't happen to see it, but I know that it's beneficial because, and I asked you a little bit about this earlier, about public opinion. And I was, I was delighted to find out that we get misled to saying, oh, the people of Australia, he may be a citizen here, but we don't want him this sort of thing. And you might have a different, <laughs> you have a different yeah, opinion right. on, on that. Uh, but I think the, um, you, you know, the prevailing attitudes, whether they're the lies that they tell or prevailing attitudes to endorse a philosophy. Of course, for instance, our program endorses non-intervention in foreign policy and uh, other ways to change the problems of the world, but uh, not the authoritarian approach. And that is why people need to speak out. Uh, there's a danger from our viewpoint is that the dictatorship of the majority and democracy is not the answer. But prevailing attitudes and opinions, whether it's economics or wars or whatever is important, that's why I am delighted to hear what you're doing and you've been doing it and others are, because it has to be perceived that the attitude has changed. I think that's why we finally cracked in and got our side of the story essentially heard about COVID mm. because the prevailing attitude had shifted. Oh, the government's going to take care of us and take care of it. So 
fortunately, uh, you're doing the very best. I think it's going to be beneficial. We need to change the attitude. We need to educate the people uh, to know that it makes no sense for the United States to be so dictatorial and want to destroy this man and this man's family's lives. Yeah, I think it, it really comes down to, you know, one of the basic pillars of democracy as well, knowing what your government uh, does does in your name. You know, in a democracy, the power is with us. You know, we have the power. We delegate it uh, to our elected representatives. And not knowing what they do, does, does that mean, you know, do we really live in, in a democracy or is it is it just a joke? So, uh, you know, with what's happening to Julian, you spoke a little bit about the support uh, in Australia. There is now 88% of Australians uh, who who say that Julian should be brought home. Uh, December 2nd last year, the Australian Prime Minister said publicly in Parliament uh, that he doesn't see what purpose is served by Julian uh, being kept in prison. So that is the first world leader of, you know, uh, Australia is a very close ally to the US uh, military partner. And as he's the first one to be on the record as saying, you know, Julian should be free. That's right. In just a minute, Daniel has another question. But I think that argument is powerful. Why can't the poor man go home? If he's committed a crime, let him be tried there or something. But the truth is, is that he's telling the truth and, and we don't like it. And that, that is sad, that is sad. Daniel. I think one of the most powerful parts of the film, and we all knew this happened, but seeing it happen in the film uh, was like painful all over again. You know, toward the end of the Trump presidency, when the family was desperately trying to engage someone, please just get a pardon on Trump's table. And it wasn't in the film, but we know that Trump said he loves WikiLeaks about a hundred and some times throughout the campaign. He loved it during the campaign, but when he had the opportunity, and I believe, maybe you can correct me, Gabriel, I believe he even had a pardon in front of him that he could have signed as he was signing hundreds of other pardons he declined to do that that was a powerful and was a pretty dejecting part of the film yeah and and you know we saw it there at the time uh, you know stella was campaigning uh, constantly for for that trump pardon and there was a pardon written up there was a pardon on trump's desk and he had an opportunity uh, to sign that uh, we saw reported by uh, tucker carlson uh, that Trump received a call from Mitch McConnell saying, you know, this isn't, if you do this, it's not going to go well for you. Uh, and there's been some other, uh, other sort of reporting on, on that and that, that, that Trump was, uh, you know, essentially used Julian as a bargaining chip in that sense uh, for, for his own, um, yeah, political fortune. The impeachment was coming too. Yes, and then, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That was on the table. And uh, yeah, and, and Tucker Carlson reported, yeah, Mitch McConnell, rang him and said, oh, well, the impeachment won't go well for you if you if you go ahead with this. Well, we know that McConnell said yesterday he was furious that these uh, tapes were released of January 6th. So he's definitely in the deep state uh, for sure. But that's um, unfortunately, there aren't many profiles of courage uh, in the Trump administration. There are a few, but that certainly was wasn't one of them, I think. You know, and I, I think that um, there's a good chance that this will shift, but that's maybe as much wishful thinking as any. The one thing I do know that if you weren't here and traveling the country, other members of the family, Daniel was very, very impressed with your documentary. And I think that is 
a reason to be optimistic, and we're always looking for this, a changing of attitude. But uh, from my viewpoint, I would say it's not so much changing their attitudes, and maybe it's been a, a, a more uh, public discussion in Australia. <laughs> He's Australian. It, it's that uh, the people don't know, and, and if they do know a little bit, they probably don't care enough. And so I, I, I think, and you do have to hit the logic and the legality and the emotions of it. And it sounds to me like you achieved that in your film. Yeah, and I think what, last time my father and I were here, we toured, uh, I think, 15 uh, different cities in 2021 in June. Uh, this time around with the film, we're, going to, we're doing 52 events. Um, so you can see the progress that's uh, been made here and the interest um, that is developing uh, over time. Uh, and once we speak to people, you know, once we talk to them about this case, you know, and what's at stake here, you know, in terms of democratic rights, uh, you know, an unprecedented attack on the First Amendment, uh, they come around, you know, people understand it if, if, if you explain it to them uh, and they join our side. And I think Julian said something really interesting that, uh, you know, that it's sort of been an unforeseen outcome of his persecution is that uh, he wanted to export the First Amendment to the rest of the world. And so what we've seen now around the world is this global movement uh, forming for freedom of expression that never existed before. And it's all formed around the fight to free Julian Assange. You know, you have uh, 50 parliamentarians I in Australia who are all calling for Julian's freedom, 70 in Germany. 25 in, in the UK. And these are all uh, groups that are cross-party groups. They're bipartisan, uh, they are conservatives, as well as progressives, uh, as well as people from the centre who all see uh, what's at stake, who all see this global overreach, uh, you know, with this Espionage Act prosecution. Uh, the US can now reach into any country uh, with the Espionage Act. If somebody publishes something, they can reach in uh, and, and say, well, you violated our Espionage Act, we're going to put you in a prison. Yeah, and, and the attack on the First Amendment and the principle of freedom of speech is so clear. And uh, r right now, d not uh, directly related to Assange, but uh, what, what about this battle going on in the states now of, of uh, people being canceled and the co collusion of big government and big business controlling speech? And uh, so we're in the midst of it. And, you know, if you look at the totality of it all, that, that is a big thing. But it is a reflection of an attitude. If they can do it to one person and get away with it, nobody cares. And they, can, and they have. Now people are starting to complain about the curtailment of our First Amendment rights here. But it is a worldwide event. And uh, how that's going to iron up. But all I know as a libertarian, the answer has to be telling the truth and, and convincing people through persuasion that it's a better world if you tell the truth than if you live within an empire lies. Daniel. I just want to take a moment, gentlemen, to thank the sponsor of our program, 4Patriots.com. The number 4Patriots.com is a great company. They provide survival food. Uh, we don't know what's coming. This is a time of uncertainty. The Chinese are stocking up on food. They're importing food at unprecedented levels. They see something coming on the horizon. The Europeans, and certainly in the UK, they know what it's like now to live without vegetables, without eggs, because the supermarkets are increasingly bare thanks to bad policies. We don't have to be victims of dumb politicians and bad policies. We can look out for ourselves and our families. One great way to do that is to make sure you have enough to eat. Go to 4Patriots.com, the number 
patriots.com. Get yourself some survival food. Use the word RON, R-O-N, for your 10% discount on your first order. Free shipping of all orders, $97 and more. Look out for yourself and your family at 4patriots.com. And Dr. Paul, I gave a little talk last night, very short uh, mention, because I wanted to put it in context, and I know you remember this, but I went back and looked at the congressional record before I went to see the film, and it was in 2010 when Collateral Murder was released. It was in the summer of 2010, and as far as I could tell, and again, my congressional record searching skills have waned slightly since I worked for you on Capitol Hill. As far as I could tell, I believe you were the first person to go down to the floor and mention Julian Assange and mention the persecution at the time. And in fact, when I read some of the things you were saying, I thought this is amazing because you said people are talking about putting him in jail and even assassinate him. This is, this is crazy. I can't believe it just for telling the truth. Um, so it really had an impact on us. You remember because we were fighting against the Iraq war. We knew it was based on lies. And then when Collateral Murder and the other releases came out, we knew for a fact because we saw the cables, we saw the video, we knew what happened, and it was a huge boost, I think, to us, even just psychologically, uh, the, the, you know, the... One quick question. Was I consistent in my arguments back then? <laughs> you were consistent back then. <laughs> you came down to the floor in January, just a couple of months later, and said the same things. Mm -hmm. But there weren't many. It was you and it was Dennis Kucinich, and I believe there was one other Democrat who were favorable. Uh, there were m many unfavorable speeches. Uh, I won't mention, but one Republican from Michigan thought he should be treated as a terrorist, and this is back in, in 2010, and things only got worse after that. But I think it's important to remember the context of the time and how important it was for us. We felt like we were swimming against the tide, and it really gave us a boost when this information came out. Uh, I want to ask Gabriel a little, a little question here about Julian. Um, you mentioned that he had a worldwide uh, perception. He would like to, if he had his uh, goals, he would have liked to spread the principles of the First Amendment. Yes. He's a journalist, you know. So uh, do, you, do you recall that? Were you uh, in communication with him? Did he ever per personally express these de de desires to, uh, to look at what the United States was doing? Uh, you know, how could he have much of a favorable opinion right now? He's a victim, you know. But was, was there a time when, uh, and I'm sure, like even now, the people of Australia are starting to, you know, you know at least not uh, look at us as very bad people, you know, and, but they need the correction. But do you think uh, back then there was a time when uh, Julian would have said, you know, America's a pretty neat place, you know? Yeah, I, I, I do. And, and I think he's on record as saying that uh, as well, that, you know, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, that, yeah. you know, they're, a, um, you know, they're great foundational documents and, and uh, very good rules to live by if, if you can uh, manage to maintain them. And, I, and um, you know, and that's why I mentioned that exporting the First Amendment uh, to the rest of the world, because it is a a world standard in in freedom of expression there is no nowhere else like it you know you have um you know similar similar things in in europe and there, there are always these carve outs you know and this that shouldn't diminish what's going on that shouldn't diminish the importance of the first amendment it should enhance the importance of the first amendment because when individuals abuse it they're undermining it and then that which they're trying to take from us becomes more valuable to us so that's a 
that's a sort of a way of saying, well, maybe some good will come of this. It'll wake up some people, you know. And I, I keep mentioning things. Sometimes we have a report to say, and such and such happened is horrible. And I'll tell Daniel, yes, but there's going to be a few people who look at that and say, they're ridiculous. I'm looking into something who's going to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, you know, I often have a bit of a laugh with my father that we're two Australians, you know, going around the U.S., you know, convincing people to stand up for their First Amendment. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't um, ever think that I would be a you know a First Amendment or you know a First Amendment advocate in the USA. Yeah, it's a, we it's don't a, have a monopoly. No. <laughs> well, at the risk of, of of turning the tone a little bit more depressing, I was wondering if you feel comfortable telling us maybe a little bit about his conditions for maybe for people who are watching the show who don't follow it. What's it like for him, as you understand it, in Belmarsh? Uh, what kind of living conditions you, you touched on a little bit. You went into a little bit more detail last night, which is pretty grim. So as much as you're comfortable telling, I'd love, we'd, I think we'd love to hear about that and how Julian himself is doing. Well, Julian, as I said earlier, has been coming up on the 11th of April will be four years inside a maximum security prison. Uh, it's you know, the UK's hardest prison. When you go and visit him, uh, you, are, you, know, you have the soles of your feet searched. Um, you know, they check inside your mouth. You go through multiple airlock type setups. Uh, they have a sniffer dog that actually climbs on you and sniffs inside your hair. So, you know, just as a visitor, you can uh, feel uh, the oppressiveness, you know, of, that, of the prison conditions there. Uh, his children, uh, who are quite young, three and five, they go through the same uh, procedure to, to to visit Julian and sometimes it can be very hard for them you know you can imagine a three-year-old uh, a prison guard wanting to look in their mouth uh, sometimes they just don't cooperate so uh, I last saw Julian uh, when I was in the UK at the beginning of November and you know this uh, it's slowly uh, crushing him this process this never-ending legal process he has this extradition uh, hanging over his head and at the magistrate's level, magistrate's court level, uh, the extradition was rejected on health grounds uh, because expert witness testimony uh, said that Julian would, if extradition were to become imminent, Julian would find a way uh, to take his own life. And so, you know, that's what we are sort of living with. And and yeah, the prison is, it's it's wearing him down. He had a stroke, a minor stroke, uh, at the end of 2021. So that is. Uh, that is just evidence that it's taking its toll on his body as well as his mind there. And he's not yet 50, is he? Or he's been he's, I mean, stroke yeah, at that age? 51, yeah. Wow. So he's, wow. he's very young for that sort of um, condition. It's approaching cruel and unusual, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, 10 years ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture called it a slow-motion murder before our eyes. Yeah, that's which good. Which is quite poetic, uh, unfortunately. Well, I guess one question that Dr. Paul and I both have, and I'm sure our audience has, uh, and it's not an easy one, but what can we do? I mean, it's easy to feel powerless. Uh, you, you know, we want to feel that we're helping him, but, they, you know, I mean, what would you suggest people who, who are out there? What can they do to do something to try to help him? Uh, well, there's a, you can come and see us. John and I are touring uh, around the country. As I said, we've got uh, you know, we've, we're doing these 52 events, so likely we'll be coming to a place near you. Uh, you can find out all that information on our film website, which is ithicamovie.com. Uh, That's I-T-H, 
aka movie.com. And we have a link in the description, by the way, too. So, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and as we um, travel around, we're always encouraging people uh, to get, you know, get involved in the democratic process. You know, uh, call your congressperson, call your senator, uh, make an appointment with them, go in and see them and say, you know, why aren't you speaking out about this? This is a threat to the First Amendment. You know, this is a threat to our democratic rights in this country. Um, why aren't you saying more? Right. Um, how many people have reviewed the films and written about it? Has anybody done it? Has it all been negative or a lot of positives or, or nothing? Well, um, you know, we've, we've had, I think our, there's a Rotten Tomatoes. Our Rotten Tomatoes rating is 91% uh, for, the, for, for Ithaca. So it's overwhelmingly positive. Oh. Um, we've had... You know, I, I think there's been some some reviewers here in the U.S. who might have uh, reviewed Julian rather than the film, and, mm -hmm. and uh, you brought all their old um, preconceptions. So there has been a couple of negative reviews, but they're, you know, overwhelmingly from a political position yeah. <laughs> rather than a rather than a um, humanitarian. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, or looking at the film in its uh, on its own. Yeah. Well, as a filmmaker yourself, how did it feel to make such a personal film? I think you said last night that normally you make dramas, you, you produce dramas and dramatic. Yes. How, how, how was that transition for you? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it was an extremely personal, uh, you know, it was a, it's a personal piece of work. Um, I was the producer. I got a director in to, to help with the project. Um, and that allowed, I guess, a little bit of space and independence there. Um, ben Lawrence, who directed the film, I'd... I never met him before uh, before this process began, but you know, if, if anybody wants to know more about their family, they should certainly um, <laughs> make a documentary about them. Now, was the filming done in Australia or all over? All over the world, yeah. So we shot in um, yeah f three continents, you know, Europe, Australia, the US. Was it uh, very often that people would say, get away from us, we don't want you in here? Or were they people yeah. reasonable? <laughs> no, I think that happens throughout this campaign all, all, all around Some the world. Some of all. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we do uh, run up against that um, a lot. And, you know, that's what it's about. You know, we've got to convince people that um, to come to our side and, yeah. and support us. Well, I just, I mean, I think we're, I, at least I'm about ready to close out. And I just would really encourage our viewers, there's a link at the bottom. Go see the film if you can. It's playing throughout the country. Uh, Ithaca is the name of the film. Uh, if you go to the link, you'll find where it's playing near you. It's going to be in Dallas, I think, tonight. And then a little bit later, it'll be in Austin. So come on, Texas. You've got to show up. You've got to show up and give some support. And you're going to love the film. It's a great film. Uh, for myself, Gabriel, I just thank you so much for contacting us, for joining us, for allowing us to see the film, for allowing us to talk to you. And we wish you the best. And I, too, Gabriel, want to thank you very much uh, for your work and what you have offered and you're coming here for our program. And I, I think that it's uh, going to be very important that, there, that we can contribute to the momentum. That's what it needs to be. So th this, is, uh, this is, to me, uh, very, very valuable. A lot of people, like Daniel points out, people ask, what can I do? What can I do? And, you know, sometimes... You know, they're talking about the real broad picture. They're looking at the libertarian best. Now what do I do, Dr. Paul, what do I do? And my, my flippant answer is, 
do whatever you want to do, but do something. And uh, because some people have talent about making documentaries and movies, but that's not my thing. I can't do that. So we, we try our best, and that is what uh, that is what we need need to do. And uh, I think that uh, uh, good will come of it. But it is sort of scary. But uh, history is a scary thing to look at. So I. Uh, I, I, I applaud you and encourage you to continue your work. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And I think yeah, important that you talk about that momentum. There are uh, some strong members of Congress, like Congressman Massey, who have been very good on this issue. And uh, yeah, there should be more joining them to uh, call this out for what it is. And I want to thank all our viewers today for tuning in. Please return soon.